the Gospel of Mark. <clears throat> when you get there, <clears throat> there are four books in the New Testament referred to as Gospels. <clears throat> Obviously, you probably very well know that they are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those four books are unique. Matthew presents Jesus as the Messiah and the King of the Jews. What do the uh, wise men ask for when they come to Jerusalem? They say, where is he that is born King of the Jews? So Matthew has a heavy emphasis on the, the, the royalty, on the kingship of Jesus Christ. Mark comes along and he presents Jesus as a servant, as a busy servant. Luke presents Jesus as the Son of Man. He, everything that he's doing, he does as a man, even though he's God in the flesh. The Gospel of John comes along and presents Jesus clearly as the Son of God. Now, these are at the beginning of your New Testament. And they're there at the beginning of your New Testament for a reason, because the, the, enti the rest of the entire New Testament has no meaning without Jesus Christ. I love the book of Romans. I enjoy the book of Hebrews. I love all of the doctrine, all the truth of the New Testament, but all of it hangs upon Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Without those four Gospels, <clears throat> they're just teachings. Now, why four? Why have four Gospels? Well, they are four agreeing testimonies of one life. If, if you ever have to go to court, um, and, and uh, uh, they ask, do you have any corroborating, how do you say it? Say it again corroborating, that's the word, evidence. What they're asking for is, <clears throat> there has to be more than just your word. Somebody else has to vouch for where you are at or what you are doing. You need more than just one witness. And God gave us four witnesses of the life of Christ, four uh, testimonies of this one life. And somebody says, well, they're different. Of course, if I saw the same thing you saw, we'd see things just slightly different. And that's a good thing. These are four agreeing testimonies to the one life. Number two, they are also four different views of the one life. Each one of these gospel writers adds color and depth like a three-dimensional image. Um, uh, you have Jesus Christ, but each one of the writers of uh, uh, the gospels, each one sees Jesus from another angle than maybe you have ever seen him before. And if you've ever started and read in Matthew and then started in Mark, it's, a, it's like a whole other viewpoint. And then you get through Luke, and it's a whole other viewpoint. It's the same person, but it just adds color and depth to the life of Jesus. Um, there are also four audiences that are trying to be reached. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are uh, emphasizing each one. One's trying to reach the Jews. Another one's trying to reach Gentiles. Another one's reaching the lost. Others... Another one is reaching the saved and uh, believers. So those four Gospels, have a, there's, there's great reasons why you have four of them in the beginning. <clears throat> now the meaning of the word Gospel. <clears throat> Look in God, uh, Mark chapter 1. And notice how it starts off. Mark chapter 1 and verse 1, it says the beginning of the, what's the next word? The Gospel. Now Mark... When we talk about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we're looking at something that is not a biography. This is not a biography of the life of Christ. It also is not a textbook 
to study. It is a gospel, and that is paramount. It means it is good news. This book that you hold in your hand contains the gospel, the good news. Now, the good news is that you can miss the coming wrath of God. That's good news. It is about the life of the Messiah suffering in the place of sinners. It is good news that everyone needs to believe this, this Messiah who came to seek and to save. Go to John, you're in Mark, go to the Gospel of John and see why God wrote four Gospels. John chapter 20 and verse 30. Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. So there are things that John doesn't write about that Mark writes about, and so on and so forth. Verse 3, but these are written, they're written for a specific purpose, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, ye might have life through his name. So uh, this... This book is called a gospel because it contains the gospel. And this, is a, this, this gospel has to be uh, uh, about the dying and the rising again of Jesus Christ. There's a terrible thing that has come through our church recently. I'll talk about it more next week. And that is the emphasis is on baptism. And the gospel is not about baptism, folks. The gospel is about Jesus Christ. If you make... Good news that you must be baptized, you have ruined the good news. Does that make sense? So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are not about baptism, even though they talk about it. It's not about good works, even though they talk about it. It's not about, the gospel is not about healing, even though Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John describe healing. The gospel is about Jesus Christ and the fact that he died for sinners and was buried, and rose again. And you can believe it and be saved. That's what is in the gospel. Now, Romans chapter 10, uh, the gospel has to be read, believed, and preached, or else people die and go to hell. Go to Romans. <clears throat> Hold in your place here in Mark. We'll come back to it in a second. But Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall be baptized, is that what it says? No, believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, what's the next three words? Shall be saved. But verse 14 says, How shall they call on Him in whom they not believe? And how shall they believe in Him whom they not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? So just stop in there. I want you to understand the gospel has to be... That's why uh, this book... Matthew is a gospel. Mark is a gospel. Luke is a gospel. John is a gospel. It is intended to be read and believed, and it is intended to be preached. Go back to Mark chapter 1. 
We saw there, it says the beginning of the gospel. Well, let's look down at verse 14. It says this, Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Verse 15, And saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe what? Go to chapter 13, verse 10. Mark chapter 13, verse 10. <clears throat> This and the gospel must first be published among all nations. I wish that was our emphasis. Instead of your career, instead of your, uh, uh, you know, your priorities, Jesus says this gospel has to be preached in all the world. That is the priority. Look at chapter 16, verse 15. Mark 16, verse 15. He, Jesus, said unto his disciples, Go ye into all the world and preach, what? The gospel to every creature. Now, last point here about the meaning of the gospel. The gospel is something worthy to be suffered for as we get it into the world. It will never be easy. It never has been. Back to Mark chapter 8. Mark 8.35. <clears throat> Mark 8.35. Here's a convicting scripture that says, For whosoever will save his life, you're going to what? You're going to lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the what? You know how many missionary uh, biographies I've read uh, over uh, my lifetime, my Christian lifetime, and almost without exception, most of them died young, died on a foreign field, and died alone. They didn't die wealthy. They didn't die to a, a great, uh, uh, didn't come home to a great uh, praise and, and, and kudos and appreciation by, even by other Christians. They died alone and they died uh, martyred. And you got to think about this thing. The Bible says, uh, you, um, uh, whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. The gospel is worthy of suffering for as we get it into the world. Look at chapter 10, Mark chapter 10 in verse 29. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left home, sorry, left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the, but shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. So some convicting words about when we talk about the gospel. It's a great book, wonderful, but very convicting. It's got to be believed and it's got to be preached. Uh, continuing on, this is the shortest gospel of the four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark is half the size of Luke. And um, uh, it's, um, um, it would take you, or it should take you, less than two hours to read in just one sitting. You should be able to sit down and just read the gospel of Luke in about two hours if you are without distraction, if you don't put your phone over there on the side of your uh, chair so that you're constantly being distracted by it. <clears throat> it's only got 16 chapters, 
and uh, it's half the size of Luke, it should take you no time at all. Now, it very well, may well be the very most important gospel of the four, and I have studied um, uh, Matthew, and I've studied uh, Luke and John, but I've never studied and preached Mark, but I've learned a lot about Mark over the past several weeks. Uh, Mark was written for a white audience. It was written um, without a lot of the, um, uh, the Jewishness of Matthew, so that you can just, just get to the, cut to the chase and get right to the main point. Uh, it is an action book, which I like. As you read the Gospel of Mark, it's like, and Jesus did this, and then he did this, and then he went there, and then he said this, and then he did that, and it is action. Um, it is also a brief synopsis. It's a brief summary of the life of Jesus. If you need it just to summarize the life of Christ, Mark does that so well. It focuses on Jesus' role as the suffering servant. Yes, he's the son of God, but he's the servant of God. He's doing everything uh, as, as his father's will. And lastly, one other thing about the gospel is a great introduction to the Christian faith. If you just want to just touch on the main things that are part of the Christian faith, Mark does that. So, let's get right into Mark chapter 1. <clears throat> I'll tell you more next week about the person Mark. How many know what his first name is? Because Mark is actually his surname, like Simon Peter. What was his first name? John. Now, what's wrong with naming a guy John? There's a lot of other Johns. You've got John the Baptist. What other John have you got that actually ends up writing five books of, of the New Testament? The Apostle John. So it'd be terrible if you got Matthew, John, Luke, John. That would be very confusing. So Mark's surname comes up, and so it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. His full name was John Mark. But we'll talk more about that next week. Let's start right here in the beginning of the gospel here. And in verse 1, it says this, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Think about what you just read. Think about somebody in the first century being given a small set of, of pages, a copy of the gospel of Mark. And why is probably an interesting thing to just ponder in that, think of the, the time that it took to make a copy of portions of scripture in those days. How did they do it? Did they have a little office jet printer, ink jet? They went down to recharge and bought ink every couple of weeks. How did they make a copy of scripture? Anybody want to raise your hand? Tell me. By hand. Now, if you don't know if you've ever hand copied anything in, your, in, in most of your adult life, but uh, I have hand copied um, five books of the Bible, and it is very tedious, and I did it in English. So, um, can you imagine doing it in another language? But here, somebody gets their own copy, and they read up, and they start at the beginning, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Think about this. Here, we have the gospel begins and ends with who? It's with Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And we, we start off with this, this phrase, this name, Jesus Christ. Now, that simply is the Greek word. It was the, the Gentile phrase for Jesus the Messiah. So every time you say Jesus Christ, you're saying Jesus the Messiah, the promised one. 
Now, uh, when, when we think of that, uh, what, was he, what was he anointed to be? We call him Savior, yes, but the Messiah was more than just Savior. What was he anointed by God? What was the man Christ Jesus? What was he born to do? What are you going to say? Okay, true, but the Old Testament actually throws a lot more flavor in there. What else? Hmm? Save? But let me, let me tell you, he was born to rule. Remember Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. So, when, when, when you think of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is more than just salvation. Jesus Christ is supposed to be in charge of something. He ought to be in charge of our life. So when you read this, Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, and then he says, he calls him the Son of God, which is a crazy thing, because how does Almighty God have a son? <coughs> and if Almighty God has a son, does that mean we have two gods? Hmm. So here now, you have your first conundrum of, can you have one God and two persons? It's part of the Trinity. We call it Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And so right at the beginning, we have this thought of Jesus, the Son of God. And Mark is writing it, and I can imagine that, that not everybody could get it. So sometimes there are some things about the Bible that are just said. And what do you think God expects you to do? Look it up. Study it out. How does God have a son and that son still be God? So, <clears throat> here we keep going. All the promises about the Messiah have come true in the person of Jesus Christ, which is a blow-away thought that the Messiah would look like, act like, and be like Jesus is. Because the Pharisees didn't accept him. Um, uh, the... Uh, um, the political leaders didn't see him as a threat, never saw him as this great ruler. It was, it was the opposite. And yet, here we have all the prophecies coming together with this person named Jesus, which we will see in just a few minutes. Now, I want to say this. Um, uh, John Mark takes all these truths for granted, that his audience knows these things or at least are intrigued enough to search them out and learn about them. <clears throat> Would you agree with me that our generation and our world does not know what the Old Testament prophesied about the coming of the Messiah? They are ignorant of all the prophecies. They're blind to who Jesus is. To them, Jesus is just a religious figure, an icon. The people of the first century they heard of and they learned the prophecies. And so when Mark begins to write this, it must have thrilled them, and it ought to thrill us. There is a big need for prophetic preaching, is the point. There's a big need that people are able to connect the dots between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Most churches don't focus on prophecy. They believe that all the prophecies are done with. They believe that all we need to do is just counsel one another. We need to just love one another. We just need to watch the teaching of Jesus. But they have no meaning if they're not the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. So we begin here, starting in verse 2 now. Let's pick it up here, and we see a prophesied messenger. Verse 2, as it is written in the prophets, 
Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. So here is verse 2 says, as it is written in the prophets, behold, I send my messenger. Now, anybody want to take a guess where one of these prophecies actually comes from? Where uh, is, is one of the prophecies that is being quoted in verse 2? Who knows? Go to Isaiah 40. Isaiah chapter 40. <clears throat> Isaiah 40, verse 3. Who's found it? Would you read it out loud? The voice of him that cries in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Okay, so Isaiah prophesies that somebody's going to be yelling out in the middle of the wilderness, make a, a straight path for our God. Okay, let's go to Malachi now. Malachi chapter 3. Last book of the Old Testament, just before Matthew. <coughs> Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. Who's got that? Sarah. Okay, so he says, I will send my messenger. He's going to be right in there in the temple when the Lord shows up. And uh, um, uh, this, this person's called the messenger of the Lord. Chapter 4, look at chapter 4 and verse 5. <clears throat> Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming <clears throat> of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with the curse. Those are just three prophecies pointing to somebody showing up and uh, 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 called a messenger. Now, we know who that is. We'll look at him next week. And God says something. Um, uh, he says, I will send him. Look back there in Mark chapter 1, verse 2. Behold, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face. And um, uh, um, go to John. You're in Mark. Go to John. We're back and forth a little bit. Just laying some groundwork here. John chapter 1, starting in verse 5, or verse 6. There was a man, look at the next words. Sent from God, whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe he was not that light. John was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. And that was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. So this, is, this, this person, this messenger, this prophesied messenger, God says, I will send him. So it means he's a God-called man. Name me somebody in the Bible that was called to speak for God. Give me, name somebody who was called by God to speak for God. Moses. Excellent. Who else? 
Elijah. Who else? Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Wow. <laughs> Who else? How about Jonah? Um, uh, you've, got, you've got a load of people who are God-called men. And this is the truth about a God-called man. He is unmovable by anyone other than God. God said, I will. Anybody can stand up and can quote the Bible. Anybody can stand up and, and be a, quote, pastor of a church. But a God-called man is placed there and called there and is unmovable until God moves him. It's a God-called man. God again goes on and calls him my messenger. Now, how many times have you ever heard me say, the message today is, the message I'm going to preach today. Got the guys coming to me and says, what's the title of your message? Where'd that phrase come from? It comes from the Bible, where you have somebody who's delivering a message. And this, this person that, that is being talked about here is called the messenger. And that's what preachers do. We deliver a message from the Word of God. I could just stand up here and just read Scripture, and that's okay. But no, there's, there's a reason why God wrote that Scripture, and it needs to be said or preached, such as time, such as place, to such as people. He goes on and he says he's going to speak in order to prepare the way for the Lord, to prepare thy way before thee. Go to Acts chapter 26. How do you prepare... The way of the Lord. Somebody tell me, what's wrong with people? Um, why don't they just get saved on their own? Acts 26. Why, didn't people, why don't people just wake up and go, all right, I'm ready to get saved, or uh, okay, I want to follow God. What, what's, what's wrong with people? Good, they're blind. They're lazy, okay, but say they weren't lazy. They love darkness rather than light. Okay, there's a lot wrong with people. So God calls preachers and God calls Christians to prepare them so that they get saved. You have a very, very important job to do, and that is to interrupt people's life and get them worried about their soul. That is the job of a Christian on the at work or at school, go into Acts chapter 26 and look at verse 18. Acts 26, 18, to open their what? This is Paul. Jesus says, Paul, I want you to go, and when you talk to people, I want you to open their eyes because they're closed. <coughs> and I want you to turn them <clears throat> from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins. So, can they just receive forgiveness of sins without their eyes being opened? No. Can they just re receive the forgiveness of sins being in darkness and being under the power? No. So, whether it's this, this messenger or whether it is any messenger with the gospel, how beautiful are the feet of them which preach the gospel that brings peace. So that they may receive forgiveness of sin and sins and the inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. So how do you prepare people to follow the Lord? Number one, preaching. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. What's the value of preaching? Well, God has chosen through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Look at chapter 1, Philippians, I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians 1.18. <clears throat> 1 
For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish, it is what? It is foolishness. But unto us which are saved, who? It is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Through what? Intellectual teaching? Through highfalutin sounding words? No. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent through preaching. So where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer, the arguer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, never could. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. That's why... Most churches, filled on a Saturday night, filled on a Sunday morning, are, are letting people die and go to hell because there's no preaching. There's no compelling. There's no raised voice. There's no urgency. There's no preaching. The Bible says that God, by the foolishness of preaching, has chosen to save them that believe. Verse 22, for the Jews require a sign. They always want a miracle. And the Greeks, oh, they always seek after wise-sounding words. They want wisdom. We don't make anybody happy. We preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews, the cross is a stumbling block. Under the Greeks, it is foolishness. But under, un, under them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So, <clears throat> to prepare people for the way of the Lord requires preaching, requires uh, uh, an understanding of God's holiness and justice and wrath. Those are almost gone in preaching. It's almost where when you go into a church, you don't expect to talk about hell and about judgment of God and the wrath of God. But did you know you'll never appreciate the grace of God unless you are terrified of the wrath of God. How do you get people to get ready for the Lord? You demand repentance. You expect people... I don't care how saved you are, there are times where you need to just humble yourself and say, I'm wrong. It is not music, it is not love, it is not social outreaches that save anybody. All of those help people listen, but music never saves anybody. Your love for somebody never will save them. Preaching the gospel, the cross of Christ, brings salvation. Last point. He calls him a voice in the wilderness. There in Mark, he says, the voice, verse 3, of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. What kind of voice do you think he had out there in the wilderness? Was it effeminate? Was it very politically correct? I guarantee you that voice was not soft. It wasn't pleasant. It wasn't a nice voice. It was a manly voice that you heard. People went out to go hear it because it could be heard, amen. There was a voice yelling in the middle of the hills next to the Jordan River, and it echoed through those hills, and people says, we've got to go hear this guy. It was a manly voice, and may God give us men who will speak up like this again. It is a shame that young girls are louder than boys. And that is that has ruined this generation. John preached. Men are moved by men who preach. If you're infatuated by Beth Moore and by all of these different women preachers, shame on you. 
because that's not where preaching is ever to be exalted or honored. Preaching is done by men, and it's loud. Isaiah 58 says this, Cry aloud, spare not, hold nothing back. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet. Show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. This was a voice in the wilderness. It was clear. It was plain. Sometimes angry. Boy, when John the Baptist saw Herod coming, and when he saw Pharisees coming, he got angry. And he was firm. Not wishy-washy. Not changing from week to week, month to month, and year to year. He was a voice in the wilderness. Right off the bat, three verses sets the stage before the coming on stage of the Messiah. We'll meet next week. Next week we're going to talk about John the Baptist and his baptism because there are right and wrong doctrines of baptism. You say, what difference does it make? It makes all the difference in the world. Because if you, if you believe that by taking communion that that is part of your salvation, then you are as lost as the chair you're sitting in. And if you believe that by being baptized makes you qualified to be a Christian, you're as lost as that door that you'll pass out through to. What you believe about baptism will determine your destiny. And you've got to realize, Paul said this, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Because it's the gospel that saves. So we're going to talk about John's baptism next week. We're going to talk about the importance of repentance and that John the Baptist made it easy for Jesus to win Israel to God. All right, let's go to hymn number 316. And we'll finish up. 